My name is Heidi Bolt. I get the honor of serving here with an awesome team, helping lead this church. Um, just so many people put so much effort into what it is that God wants to do here at Church 214. And so thank you, just as your leaders, for giving up of your time to serve and to love people. This is what it's all about. So this series is called Scars because we're discussing the reality that all of us face pain in life, right? Have you faced pain in life? We've all been wounded. We all experience pain in different situations. We all end up with scars that prove that we've had pain and that we've been wounded. But for me, scars remind me that God is not finished with my story here on earth. Scars remind us that Jesus has been faithful to us, though we've had time of deep hurt. And today, I want to actually talk about seasons in life that are filled with pain, seasons of life that are filled with heartache, and when healing looks different than we hoped for. Chris opened our series last week with the words of Jesus, what better words? John 16, he said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is our central example of how human suffering can actually bring healing and how it can bring people into a relationship with him. He did this when he conquered sin, when he conquered Satan and death, died on the cross and rose from the grave. Okay, that is him showing that suffering can bring life. So we're talking about pain and suffering, but I want to be very, very clear right from the start, and I'm begging you to hear this. God does not cause our pain. Okay, so often when someone steps into a season of hurt or suffering, the first, th the first thing we start to hear out of their mouth is, why is God doing this to me? Why is God letting this happen to me? I thought a God that loves people shouldn't let bad things happen to good people. God is not the one that causes our pain, our hurt, our suffering. Sin entered his perfectly designed world, and humans fell to the lure of that sin. And often, you and I, we followers of Jesus, we want to just blame it on Adam and Eve. Well, had they not fallen to sin, we wouldn't be suffering now. Here's the truth, friends. Had they not fallen to sin and suffering and, and the temptation that the enemy put in front of them, I would have. You would have. So it's not Adam and Eve's doing. It's the human condition where we seek out that desire to experience things that are outside of God's creation. Today's story is a really deep personal message. Um, it's one I've looked forward to preaching to you for two and a half years since this church was birthed, um, but it was never the right timing. And so now here it is. But before I jump into that story, because it's really all just a story um, of my own life and my family's life, I want to share some biblical text with you that is so important. This text is going to contrast Adam, so humans, and Christ, the perfect God. It's going to shed light on suffering, on sin, and on grace. Um, and I'm asking you, please do not check out mentally. Do not check your Facebook status while I'm reading this word of God. Because you know what? You might be stepping into a season of suffering, and you need to know what God's word says about it. Okay? So get ready to impart this into your spirit. Romans 5. This is a lot of text, so hang with me. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, 
Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into troubles and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's where Adam and Christ are contrasted. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, and everyone sinned. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God. We've just come off the commandment series, like Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who has yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, he brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. That's for you, new life for you, for me. As people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your words. So in short, human sin entered the world. The world fell to the lure of of the enemy, and God gives abundant grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 3 says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. That is not my first reaction is to rejoice in problems and trials, but he's let me practice it this week as it's been a rough week. But you know what? It has helped develop endurance like his word says. We all face things in life that require our endurance, not just physically, but spiritually to build our faith, to exercise our faith muscle. Now, there's this really powerful tool in our lives that caused people to be brought together. And it is this idea of heartache that is shared. When someone can understand on a personal level the experience you're going through or that you've gone through, when they can say, I've been there, I know how you feel, it is so deeply personal and it brings healing. And so our personal stories are so valuable. They are our testimonies that God allows. So they testify to the world of God's grace in our lives. So when we speak our stories, people's faith can be built because they can see Jesus working in us. Psalm 50:15 says this, call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. So seven years ago, next week, changed my perspective on life, on pain, on suffering, on the human condition. And it was the beginning of the most incredible season of the, my life in, for my husband and me, but we didn't know it because it was on the heels of the darkest days of our lives. 
Um, so seven weeks ago, next week, we lost our first child, and it was devastating. And I did not know that days could feel that dark. I did not know that you could grieve to the very core of your being, but you can. And later that same year, our second child also went home to Jesus. And those days were the darkest I can recall in my life. I was a kids pastor of a large and thriving kids ministry. And so every day my job was to teach kids to trust in Jesus. And this season forced me in this deep loss and this deep grief to lean into God's faithfulness. And I had to walk out my talk to those awesome little kids. Most days I had cried three times before noon in between meetings and leading people. And then I would ask Jesus to give me the courage to step into a little bit more hope for that day. And the thing is, as I felt this immense pain, as I allowed myself to grieve, something began to happen. I felt hope rising up within me. And I would ask Jesus every day, sometimes every hour, bear this pain for me. And then I would trust that he actually would. And he did. And so I felt compassion rising in me. And I felt this desire to be a source of encouragement to others also facing immense loss. And I hadn't even worked through my own grief yet. Some of you need to know, you don't need to work through your own pain before you start loving on others in their pain. Okay? So as I served, I began to heal and others began to heal. The pain wasn't gone, but my hope in Jesus was alive. So God planted this deep fruit of hope and of compassion and of love into the deepest part of my being because I know he wanted at some point to be able to call the harvest out of me that he had produced in me. Okay, you understand this? Okay, so God was allowing this pain to build something in me. And I also had to speak life over myself, okay, because I wasn't feeling like super mama, superwoman that day, um, that season. And there was this song, I would sing it over and over. It says, your favor follows me, your kindness, it leads me to a hope that I cannot see. Faithful are you, Father, to fulfill your every promise. The desires of my heart are made complete because your favor follows me. And I would just speak that over and over. Sometimes in seasons of pain, we ask God, why me? Why this? Why us? Do you know what the battle through pain does for you? You know what it does? It strengthens you. It equips you to lead others through it. It causes you to recognize when others are hurting. It causes you to recognize that it is a battle. The battle through pain and through sorrow and through suffering, it will give you scars but it will remind you that Jesus is well able. Scars strengthen our faith. Scars give us the bravery to fight when others might not be able, when their faith might not be strong enough yet. It goes, you know what? I have these scars to prove that God can show up for me, that he is going to produce this harvest through me. And so in July of 2011, Kip and I welcomed home our firstborn son, Crosley Voss Bolt. And his smile says... It all. Many of you know our Crosman. He is awesome. He is uh, just such proof to me that Jesus answers our prayers and that even before there's proof of life, that God's promises are yes and amen. And um, Crosley's name, it, it means the field of the cross. And you know what? The field of the cross wasn't like a beautifully flat terrain. It's rugged. 
and it's rough. And you know what it takes to get people there? It takes warriors. And so Crosley, I believe, is a warrior that's going to lead people through that field, through life, through heartache, through pain, and get them to the foot of the cross to let Jesus do what he needs to do for them. So we brought Crosley home, and it was the most joy I had experienced in life to that point. And we'd been home from the hospital one night. And before we could even comprehend what was happening, our, our bliss flipped, and we had this dramatic understanding that something was wrong and we needed to fight for our son's life. So in the brief time we were home, we started to notice these signs, signs that our son was not well. Now, looking back now, I know that the signs were there right in front of the professionals that cleared us to leave the hospital saying, he has a clean bill of health, you can go home. These signs were signs of illness. They were signs that vital health was missing. But the signs were missed by the professionals. But here's the thing. I don't blame them. I'm not upset with them because humans make errors. And the thing is this. For me, it serves as a reminder spiritually that so often God is speaking to us through signs, but we miss it. Something is out there for us to pick up on. A sign is there, but we miss it. And that sign is so vital for life. I'm so thankful that God gives discernment even when we're not the professionals in the field. God began to put this discernment into Kip and into me as first-time parents. Holy Spirit was prompting us in how to pray and how to act and how to ask for care for him. So Kip and myself, my sister, our moms, we began to notice as we're home, something is not right. He's, he stopped eating. He wasn't pooping. He was throwing up green vomit. This is not normal for a young baby. So we go to our pediatrician's office and immediately he knows something's wrong. And the x-rays show that um, Crosley needs immediate surgery. Not even 48 hours old, he needs immediate surgery. Cros had a rare condition called colonic atresia. His colon had a, a complete block and it was nearly ruptured within him. It took over 30 attempts for the nurses to get the IV started because he was so dehydrated and depleted and his veins were collapsed. So they were pricking his arms and his legs and his hands and his head and everywhere. And he's screaming in pain. And I'm standing in the hallway and they are telling me like, you, you need to stay there. We've got to get this in. And it was the worst feeling of my life to know that there was nothing I could do for my son. So I stood in the hallway of that kid's hospital and I wanted to just melt into self-pity and despair and I wanted to be mad at God for allowing my son and us to go through more heartache but I knew my God I knew he was not the reason for the pain in this world and I knew the hope of his son was bigger than the sorrow of that moment and so I recalled my prayer father let Crosley's life teach people to pray I prayed that through my whole pregnancy and I knew I cannot wait for Crosley's healing to start reaching into the lives of people. So I looked around that, that hospital for anyone that I could love in the midst of their pain. You know why? Because I recognized this is a battle. I have been through this previously. I know how to fight. So I found this little boy. Before I tell you that, someone here today needs to know, um, seasons of pain are not meant to be bailed on. They are meant to be built upon. So often in pain, we want to bail on building the kingdom of God so that we can self-preserve, 
Seasons of pain are not meant to be built on, or not meant to be bailed on, they're meant to be built on. Some of us need to get back into building, even in our pain. So I find this seven-year-old boy, he's covered in scars, head to toe, sitting in a wheelchair. I kneel beside him, and I quickly realize that there's a, a language barrier, barrier. He's Middle Eastern. And I learned through his mom in broken English, his name is Michael, and he had lost his leg and was in, completely burned and scarred from a roadside bomb from war. He's playing Nintendo Game Boy, and it seemed like Mario was the only word he recognized in my language until this, until I said to him, Michael, Jesus loves you. And something amazing happened. He put his Game Boy down, and he looked up at me, and he smiled. Friends, the truth of Jesus and the power of his name overcomes language barriers. There is power in the name of Jesus. It is the name above all names. It is the name that can bring healing and life. And as children of God, we have the privilege of calling that power into action in our lives. It is the blood of Jesus that heals us. So these opportunities to show people's loves are popping up everywhere, and we begin to see them right in front of us. Guys, people are dying to know the love of Jesus, and we have the news that they need, that he is able and he is alive. We have the proof that he is good. Jesus is their hope. He is alive, and they need to know it, so we need to tell them. We are selfish if we keep this news to ourselves. It is selfishness. So I asked this little boy, can I pray for your son? And she nods, and she agrees, and we pray for him. And as she um, as I get done praying, she just grabbed me in this great big hug, and we were just two moms in the middle of suffering, watching our children suffer, but bonded by the human experience of pain. So this battle, it was physical, it was spiritual, meaning we had to pay attention to all the signs that God was dropping right in front of us. We had to be aware of what was going around us physically and spiritually. So we asked constantly, Jesus, who do you have for us to love right now? That was the spiritual battle. And then the physical battle was being constantly aware of Crosley's needs. So we weren't the experts in the field, but God had called us to be the experts of Cros as his parents, and so he gave us discernment. And so we were paying the most attention to his every need. One quick example of the physical battle is they had worked so hard to get this IV in, so they wrap his right hand as tight as they can to keep it in. And I'm a little bit bold, sometimes too bold, and I just said, I feel that's too tight. And they're like, no, honey, it's fine. Okay, well, I really think this is too tight. I think it's going to cut off his circulation. Three times we asked, guys, this is too tight. Honey, you, you're a first-time mom. It's fine. And so he was taken to x-ray, and we were away from him almost an hour. When we get back to Cross, I immediately see that his hand is dark purple. And I knew it, this is not right. And so the staff was like, let's wait for a physician to check this out. He'll know what to do. And I felt the voice of God speak to me, remove that wrap. And so I didn't care what anyone thought of me. I just started taking that wrap off. And in the meantime, Kip's on the phone with his stepdad, who's a physician in the hospital. He said, get down here. You need to check on Crosley's hand. So he comes running in a few minutes later, and he confirmed what we knew God spoke to us. The wrap was too tight. And had you not removed it, he would have been having a hand amputated along with his colon surgery. And so God spared his hand just through the act of obedience. Guys, obedience is so vital. I knew God had spoken to me. There's a picture. I don't know if they were able to put it up here, but that's 24 hours later. Crosley's right hand is completely purple 24 hours later. But God had spoken. 
we're always having to be looking for the signs. The battle is spiritual and the battle is physical. The enemy was not messing around trying to mess with my son's life, but he picked the wrong family if he thought we were going to go down without a fight. Friends, we've got to be aware that sometimes we pray to battle in the spiritual realm and sometimes we act to battle in the physical realm. So when we, pr- when we pray, it prepares us to recognize the need and the, a- the need of acting in battle. God's always prompting us, always speaking to us, but are we listening? Are we trusting his promptings? Are we too worried people are going to think we're crazy? Sometimes we question, we wait, we think someone's more qualified, someone's the expert, and we miss the opportunity for life to come back into that situation. In this case, had we not listened, Cross would have had to live his life without a hand. Talk about a reminder of me not listening to the Holy Spirit. Holy cow. Shortly after that hand scare, we prayed desperately over our son. We kissed him goodbye, and he was taken from our arms into the first surgery for his little life at 48 hours old. I have never had to hope more fully in the hope of Jesus than in that moment. But you know what? There's something about having to practice your faith in the darkest hours that makes the truth of Jesus so crystal clear. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is really a grace and a peace that comes over you in time of tragedy. This next picture is a photo of Crosley after that surgery. That is his, um, no, it's during surgery. I'm sorry. That's his colon in surgery. Um, it should be about the, small, the size of my pinky finger, I think, and it's almost the size of the surgeon's hand. You can see his surgeon was not a small man. Um, and so that, is the, that was the shape of his colon. So the result of that surgery is that Crosley had a colostomy bag, um, which means his belly was cut open, the colon was cut, and the unhealthy end was sewn and put back into his body to try and force healing. And then that portion was pulled outside of his stomach, sewn to his stomach, and the bile from his colon was forced into a bag so that we would have a way to clean up his poop. He was desperately, desperately sick. You know, we didn't experience that newborn phase, like the cozy, quiet mornings, drinking coffee with daddy home from work, because we were changing colostomy bags like every hour. He was so little, and the the bags they gave us were too big, and so they didn't fit, so they were always leaking and breaking, and most nights we would change our sheets three times a night with bile all over our bed, and all I wanted to do was change a poopy diaper. But you know what? We praised God because we were so thankful that our son was alive. So just a really quick pause in this story. I think some of us, some of us need a loving challenge. And guys, I absolutely get it. Parenting is so tough. But God gave you that child as a gift. And so when you murmur and you complain, I don't feel like myself anymore. Get over it. God has called you to raise this warrior and if your child is healthy, especially, this is, a, this is a gift from God, and you can't even fathom what he wants to do in your child and through you with this child's life. So let's, let's look at Romans 12, 12. It says, rejoice in confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Guys, if you're struggling in your parenting, keep on praying. Keep on praying and ask people that love you to speak life over you and then accept the life and move on. Get our eyes off of self. Fix our focus on Jesus. The goodness of God is evident if our eyes are off of self. 
So I got to rush on. The second surgery was a colostomy takedown. It was intended to reattach the colon, sew him up, and voila, hopefully he would be healed. Hopefully he would start pooping into a diaper like normal babies poop into diapers. So a couple days turns into a week. We're still in the hospital. There's still no poop. Kip and I are starting to really press for answers. Why is there no poop? Why is there no poop? God is prompting us to ask these questions. We're obeying. We're listening. Something wasn't right. We have never prayed harder in our life for wisdom. Talk about intimidating. Well, you have a surgical team and you're a first-time mom and you're asking them to do things that you think they should do. It's intimidating. But we kept praying for healing. God, let your favor be on Crosley. Let his life teach people to pray. So this next picture is a tough picture. This is a picture one night Cros was extremely sick. We were in the ICU. His belly was so dangerously swollen. And I felt like the staff was like him hawing around, not wanting to make the next call. And the doctor finally orders a crash cart brought into our room. And that's when I knew, okay, it's going down. And so we just get on our knees and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And the surgeon comes in and he says, if he has not pooped by 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, he's back into surgery. And our hearts sunk. But God sent this awesome group of men to the hospital that night, group men from different churches that knew my family. And these men made a huge circle on the ICU floor of the kids' unit. And they held hands and they raised their voices and they prayed to battle for Crosley's life. And people and strangers looked at them like they were crazy and they didn't care because they were fighting the fight for Crosley's life. They were joining with us when we felt that we were weak and we couldn't carry on anymore. They were like, we got this. We're going to carry on for you. So at 4.23 a.m. the next morning with seven minutes to spare, Crosley had his very first poopy diaper. I'm telling you what, there was singing and rejoicing in that, in that hospital room. I didn't care who was sleeping at 4.23 in the morning. We were praising Jesus. And you know what? It hit me just now. Today is 4.23. Some of you need to hang on because your miracle is coming. Your miracle might be in seven minutes. It might be in seven days. It might be in seven weeks. It might take seven full years, but your miracle is coming. So hold tight and trust Jesus and get through this battle. You have to believe. So we, um, we named, our, our, our surgeon walks in at 5 a.m., doom and gloom on his face. And I was like, Dr. Holterman, you are not going to believe it. And I held up his poopy diaper. And he immediately started to dance. And you would have to know this man to know that this is not in his character. I can hear a nurse laughing. He is a little bit reserved. He is an awesome man, but he starts to dance. And we've called that the poopy dance now. So now when our kids poop, we say, thank you, Jesus, for poopers. Because you know what? A, a, fu a functioning colon, you guys, if you have a functioning colon, you are a walking miracle. You need to be praising Jesus for your poop every single day. <laughs> but the battle was not over. Later that week, Cross again got really sick. And the x-rays showed that fibers from the second surgery had surrounded the colon, pinched it, and caused another block. I think the enemy was at work here. God's, way, God's word says his ways are higher than our ways. Crosley's healing was looking so differently than I was praying for. Like I wanted it to be like easy peasy, in and out, we're done, move on. But his ways are higher. Sometimes his timing is longer. 
So Cruz is back in surgery for the, f the third time. They give him another colostomy bag, and they said this time it needs 12, 15 weeks to force this thing to heal. And that was so discouraging. It was like starting over at square one for only for like three times as long. But Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. It says, The eyes of the Lord range through the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I'm telling you what, I felt that. I felt the Holy Spirit strengthening my heart and my faith and my marriage and the relationships around me. I felt healing come into relationships that needed to happen. This was a battle. We wanted to be faithful through it. We wanted our hearts to be focused on Jesus and what he wanted to produce through us in this time. So we're changing colostomy bags again, and we're just trying to rejoice in the fact that we have a son that's here on earth with two children in heaven. And on December 1st of 2011, Crosley went back in for his fourth surgery. So four surgeries in less than five months. It was stressful. I was stressful. But Jesus' peace was overwhelming. And we just, we wanted to kick Satan in the freaking face because he is a jerk. If I was speaking somewhere other than church, that might not have been the word that came out. But this is church. And you know what? If the enemy was messing with my son, he was going to get gloves off. We're battling, right? So, guys, sometimes we just got to step up and battle and fight. Like, don't be a wuss in your faith. Step up and fight. Because if you're not fighting for your kid who's sick or for your marriage that's sick, I'm telling you what, there might be no one else showing up. So start fighting. So we are witnessing to people that are walking into our room. Some of them thought we were crazy. I didn't care. Like the technician, I'm like, hey, man, have you heard of Jesus? And he's like, just need your vitals. I didn't care. I'm like, Satan, I'm going to witness, and maybe you'll back off sooner because you're going to be mad at me. So, but Crosley's nurses loved us. They'd come in and they'd sit and they would remark about what an amazing baby he was and how they could feel like, what, what is it about this baby? He's so awesome. And I knew what it was. It was Jesus. They were seeing Jesus. Um, this is so cool. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Guys, I felt that. Our family came alongside us in the most profound ways and, and walked us through this and rallied and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And then one friend came into my room who was a newer-ish follower of Jesus but had been raised in a Christ-loving family. And she said, Heidi, I have never humbled myself in prayer until the night that I got on my knees and I prayed for Crosley's life to be spared. And I was reminded his life is teaching people to pray. Big, bold prayers. So God healed my son, but it took a really great battle, so much longer than I hoped. Story after story of lives that were changed in these first months of Crosley's life. But the bottom line is this, our faith was ready for the battle. We are not perfect, but we were raised knowing that God is so able, that the, the blood of Jesus can heal us and that we can call on that power and that anointing. And so when the storm hit, we were ready. And some of you need to start getting ready. You got to get in God's word. You got to know what his promises are that you can call on. Because when your battle comes, you don't want to crumble. You want to stand firm on the foundation of God's word. Okay? Okay. So fast forward five years now, more than five years, but Kroz is a vibrant, healthy, sometimes very loud little boy. 
but I am so smitten over him, you guys. He has this huge scar that reaches across his belly that sometimes he's insecure about, so he pulls his pants up over it. And we're teaching him, because this is a reminder that God has healed you. This scar is like the handprint of Jesus. This is the physician that healed you. His name is Jesus. And so we're just speaking that faith and that confidence over him that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. But you know what? Kip and I, were, we were changed through that battle. We were changed through this season of deep trouble, through grief, and our faith was built dramatically. I look at God, um, Crosley's story, and I can't help but wonder, Lord, did you allow it? You didn't cause it, but did you allow it so that you could produce from us this great harvest of love and compassion in the greatest time of need? Okay, in close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share... Um, a part of this story that might wig you out. This is the spiritual side of the story that happened. Um, some of you might think I'm crazy. I don't care anymore. Um, because I have seen God work so faithfully on my behalf. And I have seen and started to notice that the more I listen, the more I obey, the less I worry about the crazy and what people might think, the bigger his asks are getting and the bigger the need is getting. So when Cross was an infant, he had three prophecies spoken over him. A prophecy is a word from God spoken through a human being, okay? And the first prophecy, um, he was a young, young baby, and it came through a man that I really respect and love. I've known him my whole life. And it said that they saw countless young people at a massive altar repenting and asking Jesus to save them and bring life, and that Crosley was a part of a group of young people leading that revival, so we were, it said, you are raising up warriors. And I said, I know that. There is a band of warriors being raised up in this church, so get ready. They're coming, okay? The second prophecy said this, guys, I'm rushing on. I know, I'm late. Uh, the second prophecy said this. <sighs> he was three years old. He was so very sick. He had this weird illness that came upon him that was not contagious. He had no energy. We were desperate for him to get better, so we came to church. We sat in the front. I'm holding him. He's like sick as a dog, hadn't moved a muscle. Someone came up and said, hey, can I pray over him? And I said, yes. So he starts to pray over him, and as he's praying, he said, okay, God, God's given me a word. Do you care if I share it with him? And I'm Bring it on. And so he says this, and I'm going to read it, guys. Crosley, you are a general in the Lord's army. You are a child of the king, and the enemy recognizes this. He has been sending, guys, this man did not know his story. He has been sending a rogue band of, e of demons to attack your health from before you were born. There have been many physical attacks, but what the enemy does not realize is that the Lord is amassing an army of angels that will soon decimate this rogue band. The Lord is about to unleash a wave of attacks against the enemy in your defense. He will attack them so fiercely that they will know you are his anointed child. You will accomplish great and mighty things for his kingdom. You are, you are a warrior. In the name of Jesus, we, re, we rebuke this sickness and this attack, and we claim perfect health over Crosley for the glory of God in Jesus' name. And then he got up and he left. And nothing happened. But then 20 minutes later, we're driving home. Crosley's in his car seat, just sweating and sick. And all of a sudden, Kip and I are in the front talking, and we hear this very vibrant, happy little voice say, Mom, let's play outside. And I look back, and Crosley is 
well. He is whole. He was not sick anymore. I, like that is the power of Jesus. The third prophecy Crosd received said this, God is preparing you. He will send you into dark places, but you will come out unharmed. You are going to go incognito, which means to be camouflaged. Many will be healed, and you will come out proclaiming the glory of God's faithfulness to you. I see a massive gathering of young people, hundreds and thousands, repenting to Jesus. Kraz is walking through the crowd with peace and yet boldness. People are receiving healing as he prays. There is not, this is not something that is far off. He is a young boy in this picture. Guys, I'm starting to sweat because I know that these things are true. I know that God is at work in a way that we can't even comprehend. And I'm telling you these things because I want you to understand whatever you're going through, it is preparing you for the battle to come. Because you know what? Three weeks ago, Crosley stood by my side and by Kip when the biggest battle of faith yet hit. We were beside my sister-in-law, Jenna, and some of you know this, and I told it briefly the other week, but... My sweet sister-in-law, Jenna, lost her 16-year-old brother just over three weeks ago in a tragic accident. Three days before, he had been killed. And yet, Brayden's mom was believing that God was going to raise him from the dead. Friends, when's the last time you believed for God to raise someone from the dead? But the crazy thing is that God woke me up in the night and said, Heidi, I want you to pray over Brayden, and I want you to believe that I can raise him from the dead. Lord, this is big. People are going to be confirmed that I'm crazy. And he said, you're going to obey. Okay. Guys, here's the thing. I believe in a God that still does miracles. I believe in a God that didn't end the miracle of raising people from the dead with Lazarus and Jesus. I believe that there are still miracles to be claimed in the promises of God's word. And I want to be part of claiming those miracles. And I want this church to be part of claiming those miracles. And I believe that it can happen. You know what? We prayed over Brayden's body. We praised over Brayden's body. We believed over Brayden's body. And you know what happened? Life came into that room. No, I wish I could tell you his body woke up from that casket, but it did not. But you know what happened? There was life birthed in that room. There was faith birthed in that room. There was healing in that room. And the people that were there experiencing it could tell you story after story of what God did. Yes, we are so grieved. We are so disheartened that Brayden is not here with us, but we know that God is working. As we were driving to that e event, we're calling it the Resurrection Life Service, I looked in my rearview mirror and I had taken Crosley with me because I knew this was going to build his faith in a massive way. Five and a half years old. He has this new passion of wanting to dress himself in the morning. And sometimes it goes against my grain of liking things to be just so. And I look in my mirror, and I'm recalling God's faithfulness of this little boy that I see in this mirror. And I look down, and I notice his shirt is camouflaged. You will go incognito. You will wear camouflage. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring life. I'm going to use you. You are my warrior. I realize this experience is building his faith. He will never forget that. Isaiah 58, 7, do not hide from relatives who need your help. My sister needed us to believe with her, bold belief, bold prayers, that anything is possible from the God we serve, even if it's raising her brother back to life. And then verse 8 of that same verse, it says this, 
Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds, they will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Church, it is time for us to rise up in bold faith, okay? Not just a few, not just a few. It is time for this church to band together and to rise up because God wants to do something massive through this little group of Christ followers who believe. Sometimes healing looks different than we hoped. I did not hope that my son would go through four surgeries. I did not hope that we would have to overcome physical ailment in the little tiny life of my son. But Crosley's life was sustained because Jesus is not finished with his life here on earth. I don't know why Braden's life was taken, but I do know this. The power of his life and the power of his faith has birthed new life. There is a church in his little tiny town that is being birthed right now because of Braden's life. That is resurrection power. That is healing. That is life. So the lives of the people who prayed over him, who believed boldly, they're forever changed. And I want you to step into that, guys. I don't want to sit here and play church with you. Because you know what? Life is too fragile. One moment, Braden was here, and the next, he was gone. But he's in eternity with Jesus, and we know we're going to be reunited. We know that Jenna's going to be back with her brother. Her, his mom's going to be back with him, his dad. But this is the trial they're walking through, and their faith is being built. I believe we're going to experience revival. If you're not ready for that, this might be the wrong church for you. Church leaders aren't supposed to say that, okay? Because church leaders want people in their church so that the church grows. But the, the church is growing. This is the thing. But it's growing in a level that we can't really see very much of yet because it's faith and it's, and it's a spiritual boldness that's being raised up. And you know what? I'm going to be right in the smack dab middle of that, no matter what it means. God says in his word that in heaven we're going to receive new bodies free of sickness, free of scars. You know what, though? There's going to be one in heaven whose scars prove to us that he is our king. His scars are going to prove that he overcame all of the trials that hit us in this world. If you do not know him, you need him, and it is simple. You just surrender right now in your chair you don't have to make any big deal about it other than just, Jesus, I, I want you to love me and forgive me, and that is it. It is really that simple. He can be your Savior if you just let him in. Just notice the signs right in front of you. Jesus, I pray as I walk off of this stage that you would reach these hearts and bring healing and your revival. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.